I'm Morning in America's Nick Smith, and I'm so happy you're joining me for this edition of In the Mix. Here at News Nation, we cover a lot of news, but there are always a few stories that land on my heart. Here is where I share those with you, as well as extra content that didn't make the cut during Morning in America. Welcome to In the Mix with Nick Smith. Hello, hello, hello. There are a couple of things that I want to talk about that happened in the mix this week. And it's just, um, I think the reason they stood out to me is because one, they were either creative and original and something I was not familiar with, or it advanced stories in a different direction. And and that's pretty much the first one I'm starting with. Uh, earlier, we did a story on Illinois' push to ban advertising uh, for guns that they believe are marketed towards kids and militants. We're like, wait a minute, what do you mean are marketed towards kids? Well, you know, Illinois legislators believe that there are some ads uh, in magazines, in print, in media uh, that are making guns look like toys or interesting to children. So they want to put a stop to that. And we did an interesting uh, story. I thought that just really talked about the pros and cons because uh, Illinois wants to outlaw that advertising um, uh, that officials determine produce a public safety threat or appeal to children directly um, or others who might later use the weapons illegally. But gun rights advocates say that, wait a minute, that plan that you all are putting forward uh, that you want uh, Governor Pritzker to sign into law uh, is unreasonable. Uh, and you're not clear about what defines those terms. And more importantly, uh, it dances all over uh, the throats of free speech advocates. Take a listen. Uh, there's a bill making its way through the Illinois legislature that would no longer allow gun manufacturers or retailers to advertise their products. Uh, Illinois, not the first state to enact a ban like this. Our Nick Smith is here now with details. Nick. AB, good morning. The bill making its way to the Illinois governor's desk would outlaw ads for firearms that officials determine produce a public safety threat or appeal to children. Now, gun rights groups say that language is too vague and stomps directly on their constitutional rights. They can be found in trade magazines, websites, and on social media. Gun ads marketed to Americans of all ages. Anybody can look at that and know it's irresponsible. Ryan is a former firearms executive turned gun safety advocate. He says he's not surprised Illinois lawmakers are enacting measures to regulate the industry. The industry used to, to guard against this itself. It used to regulate itself. Um, it didn't allow these sorts of advertising. It didn't even allow tactical gear on in its own trade shows. Now the sort of thing that is being advertised in the open is, um, I mean, frankly, it, it's shocking and it's irresponsible. Others argue gun manufacturers have a legal right to promote their products. Many see a ban on gun ads as a direct violation of their civil liberties. It looks to me like this is a uh, frontal attack, not on just the Second Amendment, but on the First Amendment. Dave Workman is a spokesperson for the Second Amendment Foundation. As for the notion the bill is geared towards kids, Workman says the legislation is targeting the wrong people. As we all know, it's uh, you can't purchase any kind of a firearm under the age of 18. So I don't see how this could possibly be directed at youngsters who couldn't legally buy one of these in the first place. It's the parent who would be buying this thing. Defenders of the new law say they're not coming after gun manufacturers. They're just holding them to the same standards as the alcohol and tobacco industries, except those folks aren't producing constitutionally protected products. 
I don't see anything in the Bill of Rights that says we have a right to smoke, nor do I see anything in the uh, Bill of Rights that says, hey, you know, we got a right to drink. Now, with the passing of this new law, Illinois would become the eighth state in the country to ban certain types of advertising of guns. New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Washington, California, Hawaii, and Colorado all have adopted similar plans. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. So it is clear that that is definitely an area that will continue to be debated uh, because there are those who just feel like, hey, wait a minute. The Second Amendment applies here. I have a right to have this firearm. And more importantly, we have a right to advertise a product that we sell legally here in the United States. And are we responsible for those misinterpreting as did we do? We will see where this lands. Um, and staying in the area of law, there's a story I thought was um, really interesting because it really talked about the importance of technology and how it's used, right? Um, and specifically, I'm talking about AI and facial recognition technology. Um, and this was because of a story out of Detroit, Michigan. A black woman was put in, uh, let's say, a compromising position uh, by the Detroit Police Department when she was eight months pregnant. Why, Nick? Well, because they accused her of a carjacking. Yeah, but the description of the carjacker was nothing like her description when she was arrested which is eight months pregnant. She's like, you're kidding me. You know this is not me. Well, facial recognition says it's you. Yeah, so needless to say, she's suing because they did have the wrong, let me be clear, they definitely have the wrong woman. <laughs> so earlier this year, Portia Woodruff was in the middle of her morning routine with her children when she got a knock at the door. Hey, how you doing? Are you, I'm sorry, are you Portia? Yeah, I'm Portia. Uh, Portia, we need to talk to you. Would you step outside, please? Uh, is this a joke? No, it's not a joke. Um, we have identified you. We have a warrant for your arrest. Wait a minute. Oh, whoa, whoa, what are you talking about? Her kids are there. She's trying to get ready. Yeah, not a good look. So I wanted to speak to an attorney and say, wait a minute. Can this happen? What are the legal pitfalls? Oh, we broke it down. The dangers of facial recognition technology are coming to light in a new lawsuit. A Detroit woman is suing the city and a police detective after she says she was wrongfully arrested because of the technology. All of this while she was eight months pregnant. Portia Woodruff is her name and she says officers accused her of robbery and carjacking. Police reportedly used surveillance video and facial recognition software to link Woodruff to the crime. 
The charges were later dismissed. Her lawsuit says she was arrested despite there never being a mention that the suspect was pregnant in the police report. Woodruff is the first woman known to be wrongfully accused of a crime using facial technology. Joining me now to break all of this down is trial attorney and legal analyst, Misty Maris. Misty, let's talk about the pitfalls of facial recognition technology and why it's so dangerous. The pitfalls of facial recognition technology have been articulated in many different ways. First, the ACLU has brought lawsuits saying that this type of technology violates privacy concerns, that it has a disparate impact on communities of color, and that there is always the possibility that it is not as reliable as it seems. So the general rule, and this is nationwide in most jurisdictions that use the technology, is that probable cause to arrest someone cannot be a established based on facial recognition alone. It has to be looked at in, in accordance with other evidence in order to move forward with an arrest that is valid. So that's the argument that we're seeing here with this woman in Detroit. And by the way, just to note, there are three other cases that have been filed with similar circumstances against the Detroit Police Department specifically, many of these working their way through the court system. So as this new technology continues to be used in investigative phase, it's also going to face these legal challenges uh, to help us understand how it can be better, more accurate, and less detrimental to the community. And, Mr. you would also assume that common sense would be used when you see a woman is pregnant, and that wasn't mentioned in the report, that possibly that could weed her out of your possible list of suspects. How can this technology actually be helpful? So what the technology is actually made for is when there is somebody who's a suspect, usually in a robbery, a home invasion, something to that extent, a burglary, that is caught on video when someone's entering or exiting that location. Mm. The visual technology can be used to identify a specific person as a suspect. And I say that it's very specific, as a suspect. It does not mean that there's actually the probable cause necessary to arrest that person. It just gives investigators a lead. That's the benefit. And then the investigation continues from there until the standard of probable cause is met. So to your point, this woman being pregnant, that's going to be a factor that will weigh heavily in her favor in the course of this lawsuit because the department is going to have to establish that there were other reasons despite the, the facial recognition technology, to actually move forward with the arrest. So it's a very complicated, fact-specific legal argument. Now, Misty, according to the report, the prosecutor's office said the warrant that led to Woodruff's arrest was on solid ground. As an attorney, do you think Woodruff still has a case for her lawsuit? Certainly. It's all going to be questions of fact for a jury to decide. So facts in her favor, as we spoke about, the fact that she was pregnant, that, that there was no mention of a pregnant woman uh, in that police report. On the other side, reports indicate that she was identified, her photo, by the victim in a lineup. So all of those facts are going to be hashed out. And again, what the police need to establish is that there was probable cause for the arrest at the time. That's the defense you just stated. That doesn't mean that she's necessarily found guilty, just that the information that they had to get that warrant was valid at the time. So this is going to be an interesting one to watch because it's going to help shape the law surrounding the use of this facial recognition uh, technology, which, of course, you know, as we took, we cover this all the time. The law takes a little bit of time to catch up to the tech. So the, the courts are now going to be shaping that law and when investigators can rely on it and how heavily they can weigh that when 
looking to arrest an individual and to go out and get that warrant. Which, Misty, leads me to my last question for you before I run out of time. In about 30 seconds, as an attorney, what are your recommendations for agencies going forward who plan to use this facial recognition technology um, in, in any capacity? It's a great question for state agencies like police departments. You have to make sure that there are regulations on the books about how to use this technology to ensure that that leap isn't made. The facial recognition technology is the end of the day. Technology is amazing. The innovation, it's so helpful, especially in law enforcement. We're always talking about the electronic footprint, but that doesn't mean that the human component of it and the review of that to ensure its accuracy and to ensure its viability, that still needs to exist. So get those regulations on the books and make sure everybody is trained appropriately at the agency in order to use this as a positive as opposed to something that seriously violates human rights. So I love that. They're going to have to be careful in the way they apply and use this technology uh, because definitely going to get themselves into a world of hurt if they're not careful. Uh, these different municipalities and different organizations that want to use this technology have got to find a way to be responsible. In the area of responsibility, I want to talk about, um, remember I was saying how there are a couple of stories that just really stick out for different reasons. And, you know, for the past few years, there has been a bus driver shortage. And you may not even know it if you don't have school age children. You're like, uh, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because, you know, parents, many of them rely on bus services and uh, they need that to get their kids back and forth to school because some live in rural communities. Many, uh, most aren't in cities where they can just jump on public transportation and get there. Or many parents like my mom had to be at work by the time it was time for me to go to school. So what do you do? You're hoping your kid can have reliable transportation to school uh, because in many cases, like my own, it was too far to walk or you didn't want your kid, you know, fourth, fifth grade walking that far to school. You want them to hop on the bus and be safe and get there safely. Well, there's a bus driver shortage and now some school districts are getting creative uh, in their ways and in their efforts to try to recruit new drivers. As kids and teachers prepare to return to school, yes, summer is almost over. Let's not remind everybody. It's a little the bear of bad news. Yeah, it's been such a fun summer. Uh, but many school districts nationwide are dealing with a very not so fun issue, and that's trying to find bus drivers. This has been a big deal for years now at this point. The shortage has been a major problem, uh, you know, really at the height of the pandemic. That's, that's kind of what caused it and forced us to put a spotlight on it. But Nick Smith is here. Nick, how are schools now working to solve this issue ahead of this new year? Marky, simply put, by offering different incentives, right? They're getting creative, thinking outside of the box, offering everything from sign-on bonuses for new drivers, bonuses for employees who offer referrals, even making English proficiency, excuse me, not a requirement. It is going to have its challenges. We're not going to sugarcoat it. It's another tough year for Tisha Davidson and her transportation team as they try to find the best way to get 32,000 kids to school in North Carolina's Winston-Salem Forsyth County School District. And being down nearly 70 drivers certainly doesn't help. So she's casting a wide net with an effort to fill those empty seats. 
We have as young as college students working for us, and we have a lot of retirees that work for us. We're looking for people who are really good with children. We're looking for people who have a clean driving record, obviously. A similar recruitment drive happening in Kentucky. Residents in Davis County were invited to come out and test drive a bus. It's demanding, yes, but it's very, very rewarding. The Chicago public school system has only half the bus drivers it needs. The district prioritizing rides for homeless students and those with special needs, forcing many other children to walk to class. The driver shortage exploded during the pandemic. Many drivers choosing to retire or quit because of low pay or the dangers associated with shuttling young kids unsupervised, leaving transportation officials struggling to hire talent. Now, paid training and more money are just some of the incentives being offered to attract new drivers. We do offer a $2,500 signing bonus for our bus drivers. For our current bus drivers, anybody that they recommend they can have a $1,000 bonus. Now, Marky Adrian, transportation officials with one school district in Georgia say a full-time hire with zero experience can earn just over 20 bucks an hour, while a veteran driver can make as much as $33 an hour, adding, while hiring is a priority, it's also important to retain talent. So I think it could be interesting for someone who may be, you know, on the cusp of retiring and Maybe wanting to take on um, a little extra income. Uh, but yeah, you do have to have that CDL license, though, that commercial driver's license in order to operate a bus. And it looks as though some of these strategies that they're trying, you know, the pay incentive and employee referral may actually do the trick. We'll definitely have to circle back and find out how that actually works out for many of these struggling school districts. And I'm going to close with what I thought was one of the funniest stories this week. Um, and that is, well, first, let me say this. What happens in South Dakota every year for about 10 days and has happened for the last 83 years, ooh, here we go, um, and generates about $800 million. Wait a minute, what, Nick? You said South Dakota has been happening every year for 83 years and generates $800 million. What is it and why have I never heard of it? Well, maybe you have, but Nicholas had not. <laughs> and it's called the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Yeah, uh, it's a motorcycle event that's held every year in Sturgis, South Dakota. And it's a 10 day long festival and it begins the first Friday of August and it ends 10 days later. You know, um, it it's amazing. How do you know that, Nick? Well, I actually had a chance to speak to the mayor of Sturgis. Uh, he and I just talked about it. And, uh, you know, he says, you know, Nick, this is a thing where so many people come from all over the place that they immediately become family. Here's our story. Listen to that sound. Yeah, beginning in the late 30s with less than 10 participants, this massive gathering now draws in tens of thousands of people, becoming one of the most popular motorcycle events in the country. To biker enthusiasts, it's known as the granddaddy of ball. In 2015, it's estimated the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally broke an attendance record with 739,000 participants from all 50 states, plus international communities. Joining us now live to talk more about it is the mayor 
Mark Carstensen and Mayor Carstensen, first thing I got to ask you is, what kind of hog are you driving and uh, riding on and what year is it? It's a 2023 Harley Road Glide, so I knew it's it. awesome. I knew it. See, I didn't even, I said, you know, I don't even have to script that question. I know this man is riding one. Talk about the history of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally and why it's so unique and important to the community. You bet. Well, it's unique because just the Black Hills and the rides that we have, the feeling of family and friendship that people come back annually to do um, and to enjoy each other's company. Um, what it returns to the community is revenue and our 7,000 person town turns into a very large city for a little bit. So we put up with a lot as a small town, but the returns are worth it. And just the family environment and the rally's history and legacy is just great to be a part of. You mentioned family. And the reason I wanna go back to that is because I have interviewed so many people who attend this year after year. And what they say is that they meet people, oh, uh, the guys I met six years ago, and each year I'm gonna see them there again. That's what you mean by family, right? 100%, they come here, they make friends and memories, and they look forward to returning to the next year to do the same thing. And it becomes strong bonds and relationships for the rest of their lives. Okay, so why here, why this part of the country, why does this event draw such large crowds every single year? Well, the city of Sturgis works very hard to open our arms and create a safe, welcoming environment for people to enjoy what we have here. And the key to it all, to answer your question, is the fact that the Black Hills are all the way around us and the rides are world-class and it's just so enjoyable and such a beautiful place that people just love to return. And people get to flex with their bikes as well. Now, one last question I have to ask you before I let you go. How many participants are you expecting this year? I know there was a dip during the pandemic, then we saw a growth again, um, and it seems like the numbers keep climbing. What are you looking for this year? What will success well, mean for you? Success is people having a good time and coming back. As far as the numbers, they fluctuate quite a bit depending on the year and the economy and everything that is going on there. But even on a slow rally, as we call it, when there's not as many people as there are other rallies, we're still at 400, 450,000 people. I haven't seen the numbers to this point that give us any kind of indication. Um, it, it is scientific, but it is somewhat of a guess. It uses uh, tons of garbage haul, traffic counts, uh, sales tax receipts, things like that to come up with what, what was there, how many people attended the year. We compile that after the rally, but my opinion is, is there's a lot of people here this year and our summer's been bu busy leading up to this. So it's been a wonderful, wonderful tourism season for the city of Sturgis. And it helps your community that uh, honestly got hit hard during the pandemic as well. Without a doubt. I mean, it's, we had the rally, we had the businesses that wanted to be open, open, but just like everything we're dealing with, you know, the, what happened over the last three years and, just trying to move forward. And when there's a lot of people and a lot of money changing hands, it, it certainly helps that situation. Mayor Carstensen, thank you so much, sir. Ride safe, have a good time. And sure. you know what, look for me in 2024. Beautiful, come join us. All right, sounds All good. Right. Have a good thank one, brother. You. And I really am. I'm going to take, I'm going to find a way for us to cover that one year and uh, go with with the group. And I do not ride a motorcycle. I don't ride um, as much as I used to. Um, and that's honestly because I, I started to have concerns around safety, trying to navigate a motorcycle in the city. So I stopped, uh, but I am um, a licensed motorcyclist. Uh, you know, the original focus of the rally was on racing stunts in 1936, something I definitely never did, uh, but it was expanded to include the hill climb and motocross races. So 
that Sturgis Motorcycle Rally brings in uh, royalties and sponsorships uh, in the sum of like $800 million a year. Now get this, the city of Sturgis earns around $270,000 per year with just, you know, sponsorships of the event. To put this in perspective, the rally makes up 95% of the city's total revenue. Yeah. And with the town of just about uh, 6,000 or so people, it is incredible that this small town hosts one of the largest motorcycle rallies in the world. Uh, yeah, that definitely keeps the city in the black. That is awesome. Um, and again, the mayor says, hey, we have a couple of little dust-ups every now and then, nothing the cops can't handle. You know, usually alcohol is a factor. Uh, but he says it is just a great event year-round, and everyone looks forward to it. Hey, that's in the mix for this week. I hope you had as much fun as I did because I love this. I love an opportunity to kind of shine a spotlight on some of the stories that I've done over the week that I think are just great that I want people to check out. Um, I'm still getting feedback from a previous episode when we talked about the, uh, the guy who restored the film from the Holocaust. Ah, oh, I just love that. And if you've got some great story ideas, do not hesitate to send them my way. All right, I'd love to hear from you. That's it for In The Mix. Have a great week. Don't forget, you can always watch me and my Morning in America family on News Nation weekdays, starting at 6 a.m. in the East, 5 a.m. Central. Don't know where to watch us? Go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code and the channel finder will show you the broadcast channel we're on in your area. And remember, we're also on all the streamers, Hulu, Roku, and YouTube TV. This is Nick Smith, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of In The Mix with Nick Smith. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.